Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want more bonus material and to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash la vie creative. And also don't forget to check out Amazon where you can pick up my new book, Paris, A Life Less Ordinary. In the book, I talk about my creative adventures in Paris, from starting my business to being homeless, hello, starving artist, (laughs) to how I met all these wonderful creative people. Don't forget to check it out on Amazon. And also thank you so much once more for listening and for your support. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Paris History Avenue Hemingway. I'm here with Claudine Hemingway. And today we are talking about Bert Weil. I'm sure I'm saying her name wrong again. <laughs> I'm not good at Bert's. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to learn a little bit a little about Bert. She was an art dealer. That's about all I know because I looked at Wikipedia, but Claudine has a lot more information for you. <laughs> yeah, um, Bert, Bert, uh, I guess it'd be Ville, Bert Ville. She um, partially, I well, I came across the story and I really loved it, but I also just like to make you try to say Bert um, one more time. So I think this is our third Bert we've talked to. And I'm gonna, I'll find some more. <laughs> I just want to say Bert Nerdy. I know every time you say Bert, I just think of Bert Nerdy. Um, but Bert Weil um, was born November 20th, 1865 in Paris. And her parents, um, uh, Solomon and, and Jenny, um, they had seven diff- They had seven children. Bert was the fourth of those seven. They were um, uh, a Jewish family and they were originally from Alsatia. And they ended up coming to Paris um, before she was born. And when she was a little bit older, she started working for her d- distant cousin, Salvador Mayer, and he had an antique store in Paris. And she ended up getting a job there when she was a teenager as his apprentice. And so she kind of was learning everything she could. She was soaking everything up and she got to end up meeting um, quite a few art dealers and collectors. And her um, distant cousin, Salvador, ended up dying kind of unexpectedly. And in 1897, she decided to open up her very first shop with her brother, Marceline. And uh, she had, you know, a a rather large family of seven children. So her she and her brother opened up a store at 25 Rue Victor Massé. And uh, which isn't that very I don't think that's actually very far from you. Um, But she ended up uh, continuing to work and um, sell antiques. And but she was also starting to sell prints. And so she really loved doing this. And she started, you know, she started working with her brother. But in a few years, as happens in families, the two of them decided not to work together anymore. 
better work with your family. No, especially like a brother and sister. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. For sure. Yeah. So in 1901, she ended up um, taking over and doing just the business on her own. And so at this time, two people ended up coming into her life just kind of out of the blue. She ended up meeting art critic um, Roger Marks, who um, actually wrote under a pen name, Claudinette. I just had to have that in there. (laughs) Great name. (laughs) And uh, so he actually taught her a lot about art. And introduced her to a ton of up-and-coming artists. So this is 1901. So 1901 is a is another big time um, for people that are a big fan of this one Spanish painter. So Pedro Menashe was another man she ended up meeting. He was a young Catalan man who actually met Picasso in 1900. And when he met Picasso, he ended up becoming his his per, his only his very first art dealer. So he ended up um, coming and he met Bert, um, Pedro did, and said, oh, I have this, you know, young painter. He does these really amazing things. So she ended up um, becoming his, also becoming basically a first person that was buying his paintings. So she gave her, um, but Pedro had given uh, Picasso 150 francs a month that basically had him on a retainer. And whatever he produced in that time, Pedro got it and he was able to sell him. So um, Bert at the time, she decided to rebrand her store. And so she just, she didn't want, she wanted to get rid of the antiques. She just wanted to do art. She called it Gallery B. Wheel. And so, because she didn't want her first name on there, because at the time, you know, that she was a, she was a very first female art gallery owner in Paris. That's so cool. She was the first woman. She was the first woman. So she didn't want her name up there. She didn't want her first name on the sign because there was a lot of people that had problems with that, that didn't like that. So she ended up purchasing from Pedro three paintings from Picasso. And it was right as he first arrived in Paris. They were three pastels of bullfighting scenes. And she quickly turned around and sold them to a literary critic named Adolf um, Steens. And so basically his first three paintings, you know, were sold in no time. So she, um, you know, she decided she had no interest in ever getting married. And so she turned down every marriage proposal she was given. And a lot of marriage proposals. Apparently there was quite a few. So she ended up um, turning everything down and she just wanted to focus on art and just finding all of these young artists. She was really into just um, finding out, you know, the contemporary artists at the time. So in 1902 with, uh, with Pedro, she held an exhibition of Picasso's blue period. And it mm-hmm. was the, one of the very first ones that was shown of his paintings that was shown in Paris that, that same year. I wonder how Picasso felt about a woman doing that. Cause like, wasn't Picasso like famously sexist? Well, I mean, I would say he's more, I would say he was definitely a womanizer. Yeah. He yeah. liked, I don't know if he liked them selling his art. <laughs> yeah, I mean, When he was younger, he was kind of, you know, a little bit more naive. He ended up having a falling out with Pedro because he was so annoyed when he was like, he's only paying me 150 francs a month and he's getting Picasso was an insanely fast painter. That's why there's just so many Picassos in the world because he painted insanely fast. I mean, he he could do multiple um, canvases in in a few hours. So 
he didn't like that. And so he kind of fought against Pedro later because he, he felt that he was kind of pigeonholing him with, you know, he could be making more money. So at that time he probably was happy. Anybody was buying it. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, she ended up also having, um, she ended up meeting Matisse and she did one, a one man show for Matisse. It was one of the first ones also in Paris. And she just basically was trying to find any of these, you know, younger contemporary artists. She did an exhibition um, of the foes, which were first seen in her gallery um, in Paris. It was the first time any of their paintings had been seen before the um, 1905 Salon d'Automne, where that when they were discovered there, they ended up becoming huge. And the foes was Matisse, Darren, Marquet, um, Brock, and then another woman, um, Jacqueline Marvel, which we'll talk about another, definitely have a whole episode about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he, you know, she definitely kind of had this knack to find these young painters where all the other art galleries in Paris were, you know, they wanted to focus on the, you know, grand, you know, the grand masters and, you know, all the Delacroix and the Angre and all of those people. And also at the same time, just like Gertrude Stein, you most people couldn't afford those. Yeah. Oh, wow. She was really ahead of her time. She was really ahead of her time. Um, in 1917, she ended up moving to a newer location, um, a little bit larger at um, at number 50 Rue Thébault. And that at that point, she and fellow art dealer Ambroise Vollard, who is the one um, who Gertrude Stein and Leo Stein would buy most of their paintings from, they were the only two um, galleries that were selling contemporary artists. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, but she um, she had a little bit of a problem with, she wasn't a, a really great businesswoman. And so as um, as these contemporary artists become, became fam- more and more famous and they were drawing, you know, more eyes to their paintings. And of course, people were buying them and the prices were going up. The many of these artists didn't feel that they had a loyalty to her, which is pretty, pretty horrible, considering she was the one who gave most of them a a start in in the art scene. And as they ended up growing and like Picasso and Matisse and all, all of those people, they ended up just like walking away and going to the galleries that were giving them more money. So they didn't even try to like stay with her. They just said, "Okay, bye. Yeah, they just went to the other one and she didn't have um she really didn't, she didn't have the capital. Like, I don't, she, I don't think she was very great about um, the way she would price things, unfortunately. And so she didn't really have the capital to, you know, to compete with these other galleries and be able to give the artists, you know, the money that they were actually were watching, wanting for their paintings. Yeah. Yeah. But she did have, you know, she did have, as far as collectors are concerned, she had a really big following and they, you know, they knew to come to her for the newest art and even the new artists as they were up and coming in Paris would go to her. She also sold um, a lot of the Raoul Dufay, which is he, I also just love him. If you go to the, um, the, is it the museum of uh, modern art that's over near the Trocadero? Mm-hmm. There's this huge painting that basically like kind of like bends around a wall. It's this, it's really huge. It's all it's so his paintings are really really colorful. I'll post some photos. Um, and also Maurice Utrio, who was the son of Suzanne Valadon. Ah, I remember Maurice. Yes. So, um, but she, you know, was continuing to be the person that was giving all of these artists their very first exhibitions and shows in in Paris. Um, On December 3rd, 1917, 
she opened um, an exhibit for Medigliani. And at this point, um, it was also his first and only show he ever did. Um, he ended up giving her uh, 32 paintings to exhibit at this show in her gallery on display. Four of them were nudes, naked mm-hmm. ones, which is what he's really kind of, you know, he, he's definitely known for those elongated faces, but, you know, he's done a lot of nudes as well. And so she um, kind of liked to make statements with her front windows a little bit. Um, she was kind of a she was a feminist. She was outspoken about politics, and she would sometimes use her windows to display that. And so this time, she ended up displaying the four um, nudes uh, that Modigliani did near the window. Mm, scandalous! It was very scandalous, and people freaked out. So <laughs> they were in an uproar, and people were calling the police. The police came to the gallery and shut it down. Um, and even, and took her to the prefecture and police station. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't, you know, arrest her or anything, but she was taken there. Um, and they were told that, you know, they weren't going to allow the exhibition to open unless she got rid of the paintings. And she did, um, the biggest issue was because the nudes had hair and Mm -hmm. I'll let you figure that out. <laughs> so funny. She was a badass. So yeah, so people freaked out about that. Um and so she uh she ended up going back to her her um gallery and ended up taking them out, taking them out of the window. And she couldn't even have them on display at all. They wouldn't let her even have them in the back of a room or anything. So uh, but sadly not a single painting was sold and the exhibition was kind of just a flop even though it got, you know, all of this great press because it was so scandalous, you know, now everybody would probably flock to go see it. Yeah. The scandal it was causing. Um, but sadly, she didn't sell any of his paintings. And just um, within two years, uh, Modigliani ended up dying. Mm, that's so sad. That was just one and only. Well, it got a lot of attention, even if yeah. it was bad attention. Yeah. I mean, and now his paintings sell for like millions, you know, tens yeah. of millions of dollars. Um, but of course, you know, at the time it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a good thing. So in 1919, she ended up moving her gallery again. She moved it to 46, 46 Rue Lafitte, um, which was at kind of right before she moved it. It was basically the, you know, the, the place, it was the hotbed of the art community in, in Paris, but Basically, at that same time, a lot of that was moving over to um, Montparnasse. Mm-hmm. It was moving over to um, Rue de Seine in uh, in Saint Germain, and then also uh, Rue de la Boitie, which is over on the right bank as well. Which is also where um, Rosenberg had his studio, and Picasso, right next door to it, um, Picasso lived. And that was a whole nother story. That you know, a horrible story. What the Nazis did to his collection. Um, but, you know, she kind of just still went with it. She just thought, so, so what? Everybody's moving? Well, I'm still going to come here. <laughs> probably not the best idea for a Jewish woman. No, and she was never one to really go with, um, to go with what everybody else is doing. I really ad- I love that about her. She kind of was just always like going to march to her own uh, tune, um, even though it basic, it really kind of, you know, hurt her in the end. So, um, but, and instead of, you know, she would curate her shows instead of 
focusing on just one artist, she would do themes. So she would have like, these are flowers and these are, you know, this is, this exhibition is all about black and white paintings, or these paintings are all about day and night. Um, So she did a really interesting thing at the time, you know, curating these shows that in a way most people weren't ever doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she was definitely like very passionate and good at what she did. Yeah. And, you know, but I think in some ways that probably hurt her because, you know, the artists weren't, you know, the artists want their moment and, you know, their moment in the sun and having their own exhibition and, and all of that. And this way, you know, it, it ended up not being focused on just one artist. It was multiple artists with different themes. Um, so that probably didn't help her as well. Um, but she was also a huge promoter of the women, of the women artists of Paris, including Suzanne Valadon and, um, Emile Charmy, Jacqueline Marvel, um, Valentine Pra, a whole bunch of them. And she really, you know, they, she worked really closely with them and, and really did a lot to promote them because at the time they didn't always have, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to show their art, like many of the male artists in Paris. So that was a, you know, another one that she, a big thing that she really championed. She also, um, had done a show for Toulouse-Lautrec and Marc Chagall. So she really, um, she worked with like everybody, every huge artist that we know today at that time. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, she did so much and I've never heard of her. Like, yeah. why have I never heard her name? Well, I think she kind of disappeared um, from the, I think from the history books until recently. Um, but in 1920, Picasso ended up painting her and uh he he painted this painting of her. I have searched it and I can't find the painting. It's in a private collection now. You can't even I can't even find a picture of it. I have found a drawing of it that he did, like a sketch, and I'll post it on the website. Um, but in 2007, the French named the painting an a national treasure. But nobody can see it. Yeah, that's what I think is so strange. It's like a national treasure, but you can't see why I. I Pictures from the internet. That's wild. I know. It's like it's like the Leonardo da Vinci Salvador Monday. It's just we don't know where it is. (laughs) Dang. Well, now we want to see it even more, right? Yeah. So, but in 1933, um, another artist, George Carr, painted her. Um, I will post that picture. It's really great. It's kind of her in the middle of a room that's basically just you know filled with paintings and frames and stuff, and it's like. You just see, she's just absolutely adorable too. It's just a a really great painting. So I'll post that one. Um, She later ended up writing a memoir as well in French. And it's now um, in the process of being translated to in English um, by Marianne de Morvan, who I ended up getting in contact with um, when I was doing research for this, because she's basically the keeper of the Bert um, legacy and she is basically the one that oversees any information that comes out about her that's so cool yeah so she said that she was actually working um on this on translating it right now because there's some exhibitions coming up and i believe montreal and new york i think in 2021 or 2022 um so she's translating it in in for those exhibits um but in 1937 she ended up moving to 27 rue saint dominique um, she didn't have much money left at this point in 1941. She had to close her gallery. Um, I suspect because, you know, well, she, she wasn't really doing that well, you know, financially, but she was also, it's 1941, it's World War II. And she is in, you know, but 
besides being an art gallery, she's also a Jewish woman. So there was two things the Nazis wanted, the Jewish people and the art. <laughs> Good time to run away. Yeah. So she ended up closing up her gallery. Um, she was ba- nearly broke. She didn't even have much money left. She started, um, you know, not, she started getting ill. Uh, but in 1946, all of those artists that kind of walked away from her ended up having a big sale. 46 painters um, gave paintings for her. Um, and they more than 80 paintings were sold for a total of 4 million francs. What? And so, and they gave all the money to her. So they did come back and help her. Yeah. So they, you know, there was some hope. They didn't completely just forget about her, which is, so it was such a nice thing. Uh, But in 1948, she ended up, um, she was given the Légion d'honneur for her contribution to um, contemporary art at that time. Now we, we call it modern art. Um, She was actually, you know, recognized for everything that she did the the sale of the four million francs basically took care of her for the rest of her life. She ended up moving um, a door down to 39 Rue Saint-Dominique. She was uh-huh. almost blind. And at 85 years old, she ended up dying on April 17th, 1951. So she lived a full life and with lots of money at the end. Yeah, she had lots of money. She was basically, by the time she died in 1951, she was pretty much forgotten. I mean, she was kind of forgotten before that if it wasn't for those other artists. Um, and it, but it, just in the last, in the last 10 years, her name has kind of come back up and people are kind of looking into her more with these exhibits that are coming up and um, all the wonderful work Marianne's doing. Um, they ended up in 2012, the city of Paris added a plaque at her very first store recognizing where that was. And then just last year, uh, Marianne did a ton of work getting a garden um, named after her, the Jardin Bertwell, and it is located located right next to the Picasso Museum. Mm, I'm going to have to go search for it once yeah. I'm in my house again. <laughs> yeah, I believe. So yeah, but she, it was, a. I I mean, I love this story. Of course, you know me, I love any of the stories that are attached to art as well. Um, but, you know, for everything that she did, you know, maybe she, she could have used a little bit more help in the business line of it, but, you know, giving, giving these artists that we know, Picasso, you know, Chagall, uh, Modigliani, giving them some of their very first exhibits in Paris um, and seeing that and having the knack and an eye to dis- to discover that at such an early point is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, she was way ahead of her time. And all the artists she worked with, I mean, from the very beginning, their, their youth, you know, like they weren't anybody's yet. It's so cool that she discovered them. She really knew what she was doing. Yeah, there's, um, I'm going to have to rewatch it. There was a couple years ago, there was a TV series. Um, it was on like National Geographic or something like that. It was called Genius. And it was four or five parts and it was about Picasso and Antonio Banderas Jr. played Picasso. And I've watched it a couple times. It's really, really fantastic. And you see the whole part with um, with Picasso and Pedro. So I think I'm going to have to go rewatch it and see if Bert's in there. Yeah, I want to check that out, too. And I'm also curious to hear more about her book in English. We have to use it for a book club. Yes, for sure. And I was asking, I actually asked Marianne, um, I, was, I was like, 
you know, what happened with World War II? You know, did she lose any art to the Nazis? Um, you know, with her gallery, when did it close? Because I kept coming across either 1939 or 1941 when she closed it. And um, a, gal, a friend of mine in Paris, Camille, ended up putting me in touch with uh, Marianne, which was amazing. And I asked her and she said 1941, but she wouldn't tell me anything else um, because she said that she was translating the book and it would be in there. So read the book. Yeah. So we'll have to read the book. So I, it's probably at least a year or so out, but I can't wait, wait to see that. Oh, we have time. We're just, we do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Claudine. I love learning about these ladies that I would never know about. And I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. Tune in next week. And I'll go find another Bert for you. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.